You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inside the Man Box. I am Rick Fry. We are brought to you by Oneness Ministries, grace-based, hope-filled, spirit-led counseling, teaching, and life coaching. To learn more about us, go to our website at oneness-ministries.org. Also, Marshall Fence, the premier residential and commercial fence company in the Oklahoma City metro area. Contact them at 405-691-1191 or visit their website at marshallfence.com. I'm pretty excited today. I have, uh, as my guest, a guy that I've known since he was in college, and now he's full grown. And are are you associate pastor, Zach? Well, I'm not. I'm not full grown. I'm pretty short for most standards. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'm a twin, so I was the runt of the pack. But oh, yeah, wow. I, so I, I, I serve as the community pastor uh, with Dr. Andrew Farley here at the Grace Church. We recently updated our name. Um, and so I've been here for almost six years. Wow. Wow. It's Zach Maldonado is his name. I forgot that part. That's pretty important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you've been there about six years and you just recently gotten married. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. We are celebrating our year anniversary, um, this Sunday, the 11th. So we're, we're actually, yeah. So I don't know when this podcast will come out, but on the July 11th is when we're celebrating it. So we'll actually be in LA. I'll be speaking at a church. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, we're excited about it. Actually, it'll, it'll come out Friday, Friday morning. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. awesome. And, uh, it'll be up probably a week. Um, so you're a community pastor and you've written two books and you haven't, relatively new wife and um, you're also going to go back to school and get your PhD. You're a pretty busy fella. Well, I don't like to use the word busy, but yeah, I try to manage my time well. And uh, we also have a pug named Horace that we love. And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's a fun life. And yeah, I just started um, my doctor of ministry last, not this Monday, but last Monday. Wow. Um, so I'm excited about that and, uh, see what God does with it. Well, how long is that program? So it'll be about two years and it's, and the emphasis is theology and apologetics and, Mm. and my newest book, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit today, which comes out next, next week. So when you're listening to this, it comes out on July 13th. So a few days after you're listening to this. And so, um, it's called Jesus is better. And, and this book actually really sparked my desire um, with the apologetics. And people are like, what's apologetics at? Well, basically, it's giving a reasonable defense for the Christian faith. Right. And whether that's using the Bible or science or history or whatever resources we can to show that Jesus is real, Jesus existed, the Bible can be trusted. And so in the first few parts of this book, I actually dig into some of that. And then I thought, man, how cool would it be if I just went and decided and got a degree on it too to, to learn even more about it? That's pretty ambitious, and uh, you're one of those guys that can do it. So, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I just a few minutes minutes ago noticed that you sent me a PDF copy of your book, so I really haven't had a chance to read it. Read it. So I, I looked at some of your Facebook posts. 
And so there's some questions I want to ask you about those, if that's all right. Yeah, Um, for sure. In one of them, you talk about the 10 virgins, five with oil and five without oil. Tell us what you meant by that or what that story is about. (laughs) Yeah. So I I think that was more of a, on a, on a comment type thing, but um, it's actually not. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because I've, I've, I've had multiple people over the last few days, maybe because I, I posted about how we are the bride of Christ. Right. And I, I referenced the fact that, man, do you recognize what Jesus, who is our groom, thinks about us? And he says we're flawless, we're his masterpiece, we're righteous, we're accepted in him. Well, then that gets begs the question, well, there's a parable, and, and there's this parable in Matthew 25, and it talks about these ten virgins. And we got to remember when you're when you're uh, reading a parable, and Jesus loved to teach with stories. He loved to use parables. And so many of us who were raised in the Bible Belt thought we have to take every single word of the Bible literally. <laughs> which, yeah. which, when we mean that, I think a lot of people mean we need to take it seriously. And yes, we do. We we love the Bible. We trust the Bible. The original manuscripts were an errant. All of that. Yes, I affirm all of that. But when we're reading a parable, we got to understand that there's some symbolism in there. Um, and usually a parable is not meant to be taken literally. It's a story that Jesus is using to uh, communicate a single point. I mean, you think about the parable of the, the prodigal son, or you could say the, 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 the parable of the sons, right? So the, the main, one of the main points of that parable is look at the father's love right? Mm, Uh, It's not even about the prodigal son. It's about the amazing father. Um, And so, so parables are meant to communicate usually this point. And so when we look at these virgins, these 10 virgins, we're not looking at virgin and we're not going, okay, well that automatically means a child of God, because as we'll see in this, uh, in the parable, five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. And in Matthew 25, the context is the return of Christ. And D.A. Carson mentions in his uh, context, he gives us some historical context. He said, normally the bridegroom with some close friends left his home to go to the bride's home where there were various ceremonies followed by a procession through the streets after nightfall to his home. And so these virgins may very well be the bridesmaids who have been assisting the bride and they expect to meet this groom as he comes from the bride's house. And so Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own torch, and those without a torch would be assumed to be party crashers. Um, and so the festivities, which might last several days, would formally get get underway at the groom's house. So these five wise virgins with the oil, they seem to be, Jesus seems to be implying that these are believers who have the Spirit inside them. Because all throughout the New Testament, and even the Old Testament, um, oil, or even in the book of Revelation, represents the Holy Spirit. And then these foolish virgins, remember, Jesus loved to attack the Pharisees who thought they were in, who thought they who thought they knew, but they were self-righteous. They right. thought they had life, but they didn't have life. They were like whitewashed tombs, right, yes. as Jesus describes them. And so the same could be said here, that these foolish virgins, although they're part of the party, they're, they're, they're deceived because they're, they're really, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so ultimately, when I read that parable— None of us know when the return of Christ will be. Um, so the point is, we should be ready. Um, do you believe in Christ? You know, today's the day of salvation. Now, this isn't something to be afraid of. Um, the First John tells us, First John 5 tells us, 
we could know that we have eternal life. And God wants us to know that. And God, God says we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Hebrews uh, 9 says that we can eagerly await God. Well, why can we eagerly await his return? Well, we know we've been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been forgiven, and we've been made right. And so those are some thoughts. <laughs> those are great. No, that's great. Um, you mentioned um, Scripture was the inerrant um, Word of God. And, of course, we all agree on that. Um, I've, sometimes I struggle with the word word because the capital W means the sun and mm-hmm. the lowercase means scripture. And obviously mm-hmm. the, the physical presence of God is inerrant and scriptures are too. But some of the problem I have is that translating it from Greek or Aramaic or Greek Koine or whatever it happened to be into English is not the best way to translate scriptures. And I'm, I'm hoping one of the things you do is you learn how to, to uh, interpret words in Greek so that it's not so confusing when we talk about some things in English. Would you agree or disagree with that? Right. So, I mean, the Bible is, is complex, but let's just talk about that. Cause I actually talk about that in my book and, and in my undergrad, I, I took in my undergrad in my master's program, I actually took Greek and Hebrew um, which does help a lot. But I will say this, yeah. if you're just a regular reader of the Bible, use multiple translations. Um, you know, like the New American Standard, it's more of a literal translation, word for word. And then ESV is kind of in the same way. But NIV and some others, they kind of go phrase by phrase. But but use that. You don't have to necessarily be a Greek scholar. But yeah, you know, you know I want to make this comment, Rick, because I think this is important. Yes, we affirm Scripture, but scripture points us to a person and that's our hope. That's our, that's, that's who saves us. It's, it's like when, when, when Paul says we're saved by grace, he's not saying we're, we're saved by a set of principles or a doctrine. He's saying we're saved by a person. And and that's what we have to remember because sometimes we can worship the Bible and and not worship the author. And, and I know sometimes we, we cloud the two, but I want to make sure we make that distinction. Now, before someone turns this off, we can trust the Bible. The, the Bible, it, it, obviously, we're, we're not saying that. But here's, here's the other point I want to make. We believe the Bible because of the resurrection. Yes. The resurrection of Christ is something that is irrefutable based on historical evidence. And that's what I talk about in my book. Apart from what the Bible says, we can know a lot about Jesus from, from historical evidence. I mean, virtually no historian um, argues that Jesus existed. Every historian affirms that. Every historian affirms that he um, died on a Roman cross. And all historians have to wrestle with the fact that Christianity rose to prominence. And even historians in that time talk about the fact that his disciples believe that he rose from the dead. And really, without the resurrection, even the Bible says our faith would be null. And so what we have to wrestle with is the fact that we believe the Bible because of the resurrection, not the other way around. So we're not looking to the Bible and saying, oh, well, I believe he resurrected because the Bible tells me so. That's okay. It gives us further proof. But what I'm trying to say is the resurrection, because that happened, now we look to the Bible. Now we read everything Paul says, and we can go, yes, that's true. And furthermore, and this is what I talk about in my book, did you know that there's been no archaeological discovery that's ever contradicted a biblical reference? 
No. That's huge. Yeah. That means we can trust what the Bible, when it talks about historic, like when you look at the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon has all sorts of things that can't be backed up by history. When you look at, um, when you look at uh, the Quran or, or other religions, they've got a lot of uh, issues with their, uh, with their quote-unquote holy books because they don't line up with historical evidence. But the Bible is not like that. The Bible keeps being proven over and over again. Furthermore, um, most historians, whether Christian or non, believe that Luke is one of the best historians of all time. And this is why specifically the Gospels, what we, what we would call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, are considered some of the most reliable, incredible documents from the ancient past. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And not only that, you know, with all the manuscripts we have, there's a 99.5% accuracy. You know, people like to throw stones. Well, isn't there variance? Are there errors? And really the variance are spelling differences, Rick. It's uh, like one, one manuscript spells John with one in, the other one spells it with two. So there's no manuscript. Um, there's zero uh, variance that affect the core Christian belief. Over seventy-five percent of them have to do with with a letter or 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 a word, and so that's why we can say, yeah, we can trust what the Bible says, um, because not only with the New Testament but with the rest of the Bible, over fifteen hundred years was was the Bible written, and and with sixty-six books and over thirty different authors, and they're all pointing to one person, and his name is Jesus. Like. You can't do that. You you can't go into any library, into any genre, and do that and put sixty six books together and they all coincide, even by the same author. Um, and so that's that's why we can trust the Bible as well, um, because it holds up to the scrutiny, it holds up to historical evidence, um, and it it just reaffirms what we believe about the resurrection. And the most important thing you said, and all of what you said is important, but I think the most important thing you said is that the book is not about the book. The book is about the author of the book. It's about yeah. Jesus. And yeah. never intended for us to worship the book. Yeah. Yeah. It, it points us to Jesus. I mean, it, 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 it would be like I, my, my wife, Grace, she loves to write me little love letters and notes every now and then. She'll leave them around the house, and I've kept them all. But I don't worship those. Like, they, they remind me they're, they're her word. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, man, if you're looking, uh, you know, what's the quote? If you're looking for a word of God, go to the word of God. Because God has shown us, he's told us what he wants us to know in, in the written word. Um, and, and he loves to speak through that, and, and it's inspired, and it's powerful. But it's always pointing us back to a person and his name is Jesus and he's alive and he's living in us and he's inspiring us and and his spirit, he says, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit says he he brings, John 14, he brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus has taught us. So yeah, I think that's important distinction and I want to make sure that uh, we live in such a a black and white world where it's either or, but there's a lot of things that it's both and and we got to make sure that we, we, we hear what me and you are trying to say, which is Yes, trust the Bible. Yes, the, the the Bible is inerrant. Yes, we can trust it. Yes, it's historically credible. And we need to understand that the Bible points us to a person, yes. and his name is Jesus. Yes, yes. And the Bible also says that we have a teacher, which is Holy Spirit. 
And so yes. we can read Scripture, and but I think we need to rely on Holy Spirit to teach us what Scripture says and point us to who Christ is, yes. Yes, yes. And that, I mean, that, that's what was so huge about the Reformation 500 years ago um, was, you know, back then the religion was all about listen to the man up at the front. But what we've, what we've seen and what Scripture teaches, hey, we're all, we're all free. We've all, we've all got everything we need for life and godliness. We're all qualified to minister the new covenant. So um, I don't need someone to teach me. I've got the person living in me. Yes. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And another quote you said, and, and I wish I'd made better notes about this because the question is going to be confusing. I hope, I hope not, but it might be. You said you, in your book, you feel like you um, dealt with some difficult questions that you wanted to tackle in your book. Can you think of uh, difficult questions that you that you wanted to answer with your book? Yeah. So the way I the way I laid out my book, you know, the book is called Jesus is Better, and so part one is he's better than unbelief. And as I've traveled around the nation, one of the number one questions I get um, from people is, "Hey Zach, I have a student, I have a child who happens to be your age, twenty seven, twenty six, whatever." Um, and they, they, they have all these questions like we just talked about. Can we trust the Bible? What does history say about Jesus? Does science contradict, uh, God? Um, you know, what's, what's God's will? What about truth? You know, that's popular today. And then, you know, what about the Old Testament violence? What about suffering? Um, what about, uh, what about the idea that there's only one way to God? Um, and really what sets Jesus apart from religion? So in the first two parts of my book, I address those. Um, and, and you know, when you look at the science, science points to God. Um, all, all scientists believe that the, the universe had a starting point. Well, if the universe had a starting point, how did it come to exist? And what science shows us is that something cannot come from nothing. Um, something cannot just uh, magically appear. Yet, some of the top atheist thinkers in this world, when asked about the origin of the universe, you know what they say? Well, it probably happened by magic or luck. <laughs> and so what we know, seriously, seriously, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, whether, whether it's Richard Dawkins or, 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 or Christopher Hitchens or, or whoever, um, the other guy made up, he had to make up imaginary time as one of his formulas to, to halfway uh, get, uh, get an idea. But what we discover is that since the universe had a beginning and since Something cannot be created from nothing. It needs a cause. That's what science shows us. Science shows us the causes of the effects, right? And so, uh, you know, wh whether you look at dinosaurs or whether you look at whatever, well, we can't duplicate that. So what do we do? We look at the evidence. And what does the evidence show us? Well, the evidence shows us that something created the universe and that something must have been out of space, out of time, um, immaterial, and that's that would be what we would describe as God, something that's supernatural. Um, and not only that, I mean, I, I'm going to use some big words, and, and Rick, I'm not a science guy, but whether it's the law of thermodynamics or general relativity, all of these different things point to the fact that there has to be a creator. And this is why, you know, Dr. Frank Turek says it best. He says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And I agree with him. Exactly. It, takes more, yes. it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian because all the all the evidence there. Not only that, but there's over 122 
one guy says over 300, but most scholars say over 122 uh, fine details that make life on earth possible. Um, like in, in the, the, that's why there's, there's never been any other planet with, with the capability of life, like what, what we have it, that could house humans. And so is it by chance? Well, the chance of it happening is like one in, we can't even count, not a billion, not a trillion, but a trillion, 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 trillion. I mean, I mean, you think about if oxygen, if the Earth's atmosphere had any more oxygen, we, we would burn up any less, uh, we would suffocate. Same with the CO2 level. I mean, if, if, if the gravity on Earth was altered, um, literally it's like 0. 0.00 and then about 30 more zeros, 1%, our sun wouldn't exist and neither would we. So the fine tuning or, or the precision of how our Earth is created for life points to God. I mean, Rick, I'm talking to you on my iPhone right now. Right. And if, if, if I were to throw, if I had all the parts of my iPhone, which is over 400 parts, it takes over 400 parts to assemble it. If I were to throw that down a mountain um, and I would stumble upon it and it was all put together, I, I mean, the chances of that happening is, is none. <laughs> I mean, when, when you, when you, when you come upon a watch or you come upon an iPhone, you don't think, man, that must've happened by chance. Yep. No, you look at it and go, man, that, that happened by design. I mean, it's the same with a book, Rick. Like when someone, uh, when all your listeners go buy Jesus is better, they're not going to go, man, I bet that happened by chance. I bet some printing shop exploded and all the pages and all the words uh, came together by chance. No, there was a messenger. In the same way, when we look at the design of the universe, we go, hmm, there must have been a designer. And so what I'm trying to do in, in this book is I'm trying to help those who are struggling with their faith, who have questions about God, see that there's solid answers, there's solid truth um, apart from the Bible that actually affirm the existence of God. And then let's look at the Bible and some people, Rick, and, and this is what me and you are passionate about, some people have been living with a mix of the old and the new covenant, and, and I talk about that in, in this book as well, mm -hmm. what it means to live under the new covenant, what it means to understand God's grace, what it means to understand that he's forgiven us, that he loves us. Um, but not only that, what, what I try to do in this book is a lot of people talk about what God has done, but what I wanted to do with the second half of this book is talk about what is Jesus doing Amen. in our lives Amen. day to day? And so I hope that uh, gives you a good answer to your question or it, gives you a, just, just enough to, to whet the appetite. Yes, it did. And I, I, I want to put this out and get your opinion on it, that the more we learn about the new covenant, the more we understand that grace is not a message. It can't be a message. It can't be an. It can't be attained. It can't be a destination. It, otherwise, it stops being grace. And when you understand that, it that becomes incompatible with the old covenant. It doesn't nullify the old covenant because the law still exists, but the the new covenant makes it obsolete, is what it says in Hebrews. Um, so. The argument that I frequently, I don't argue, but, you know, the, that I get into is that the two are not compatible. You can't live under law and grace at the same time. Yes. I mean, Rick, we just, uh, we just 
celebrated the 4th of July here in America. And you know what I didn't see? I, I, have, I have yet to see in my 27 years of existence uh, on 4th of July or any other day, Americans, you know, we don't fly British flags. <laughs> we don't have King George the right. Third statues to celebrate and honor. Why? Well, we're celebrating our freedom from the tyranny that once bound us. And that tyranny was the law. Now, many, many people who listen, of course, Zach, we know that. But but uh, we got to take it further. It, it's all the law. And here's the thing, Rick, and, and what I've come to discover in, in my studies is that, yes, this is quite the debate. But two of the leading New Testament scholars agree that we are, we have no part of the Mosaic law, including the the Ten Commandments. Exactly. Um, two of the leading scholars, New Testament scholars, in, in today, teach that and agree with that. And once again, we have to clarify: we're not saying the Old Testament isn't the inspired word of God. Of right. course not. We're not saying we're anti-law. What we're saying is, uh, Ro- Romans seven, Paul says it clearly. What we're saying is, look, if you're married and your husband dies, you're you're no longer bound to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so that that's what we're saying. We've died to the law. We're not bound to that anymore. The law's dead to us. We're not bound. We're under this new. And, and what people immediately think, I think, a lot of times, oh, no, then what about behavior? Oh, no, what about, and you fill in the blank. And what we're arguing is, okay, Jesus Christ is living in us. He's never going to lead us to steal. He's never going to lead us to murder. He's never going to lead us to cheat. Um, because he's poured out his love into our heart. And in the New Testament, we get plenty of instructions on what godliness looks like in a day-to-day life. And so the beauty of the new covenant is that it's no longer about what we do for God. It's all about what Christ has done for us. It's no longer a transactional relationship where I do this for God in order for him to do. Instead, our lives are a response to what's already been done. We've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've already been accepted. We're already pleasing to God. So we live our lives not for that, but from that. And that's the big distinction to me. So, so man, I love obedience, but I'm not obeying for God to do something for me. I'm obeying from the fact that he's already done it. I'm not serving and giving because I want to get something from God. If Christ is living in me, and he is, and if the fullness of God dwells in him, as Colossians 2 says, and that means the fullness of God dwells in me, then I've got all of heaven has to offer, and his name is Jesus. I've got God's best, and his name is Jesus. That means I live my life from that reality, not for it. So I'm not trying to get something from God. I'm not trying to, 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 to obey, to impress him. I'm living it, one, because I want to do that now, because he's changed my desires, but two— it's the most fulfilling thing. And so um, what the new covenant releases us to do is actually enjoy God. Amen. And when we understand that we can enjoy God, we start recognizing and looking up and realizing, hey, he actually enjoys us too. Amen. And what you just said is why it cannot be a religion. That makes yeah. the distinction that it cannot be religion. It is relationship. It is life. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Um, that's, that's really good. That's some good stuff. You know, back to, back to, um, the physics of creation. I knew a, a physicist who was, I don't know, he's the guy who 
split atoms and he was a believer and he said that you can that they as physicists physicists can now prove mathematically that the earth had a starting point that um and it was it was some sort of um event that caused the universe to begin to expand and you know i'm i'm quickly going to out talk my ability to think what that all that means but I was astounded to hear this guy who has spent his whole life studying science say that mathematically we can prove that it is, that it was a creation. Yes. Yes. There's, there's a lot of books like, and and I barely touched the surface. I mean, there's scientists and philosophers who talk about how the eye points to God, math, how our mind, our conscience, our consciousness points to the existence of a creator God. And so, you know, I don't know if it's Lee Strobel or who made it famous first, but if we were to put God on trial, the evidence would be clear. And so what I just want to encourage people is there's going to be sound finding uh, atheists. There's going to be sound finding people on YouTube. But just because you can articulate a belief doesn't make you right. It just makes you sincerely and, and wrong. It makes you, you might be smart, but you're still wrong. I, here's, here's what's crazy, Rick, as I was studying this, um, did you know there's people who actually believe the Holocaust didn't happen? Google it, and yes, you'll be you'll yes. be you'll be you'll be dumbfounded. Yes, I, I and know so that. It, and so if that is true, and not just two people, I mean, there's hundreds of people who believe that, and not just in Germany, but across the world. If people can people can sincerely believe something like that, how much more something like God or, or something like Christ? And so um, ultimately. People can are, are obviously still going to reject God, um, but they're going to do so not because of the evidence, but because of their own will. They just don't want to see it. They don't want it to be real. Yes. You know, I get all the time somebody, because of what I do, people ask me, um, do you think there's life on other planets? And I go, man, I just, I have no idea and kind of don't care. But if there were, they would have already been redeemed they would have been created by the same God that created us. So if they are coming to earth, I don't think they're coming to destroy us. I think they're coming to um, tell us about how God created them as much as he created us because it's all created. So right. no charge for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't want to get into aliens. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't care. Um, yeah. You stated in one of your posts that, and this is going to be kind of a shift, so that loneliness is not a feeling, not a fact in our lives. Do you remember saying that? Yeah. I mean, so one of the one of my chapters, I talk about um, how Jesus, well, one of the parts of my book is how Jesus is better than our circumstances. And I, I talk about depression. I talk about anxiety. I, I talk about how God is our friend. And, and we struggle with that. We struggle with um, the idea that God is our friend, that God likes us. You know, the subtitle of my book is The God Who Likes and Enjoys Us. Yes, we know that God loves us unconditionally, but do you recognize that God actually likes who you are? He likes your jokes. He likes your hobbies. He likes being with you. He, he likes you. Um, he delights in you. He enjoys you. Um, that's the best way I can I can communicate that. And so— in our lives, 
I experience it. We all experience it. We're all going to have waves of emotions. And the popular message in the culture of self-help is, well, you just need to do more. You need to optimize. You need to think harder. You need to try more. You need to, you need to, and it's just these constant rules and lists of things that we got to do. And, and, and when we're lonely, um, that doesn't work. We need, we need a promise. We need a person. And, and man, I don't feel God all the time, right. most of the time, but I can bank on the fact that he promises that he'll never leave me, that he promises I'm sealed up in him, that he promises that I'm hidden in him, that he promises nothing can snatch me from his hand, that he promises um, he'll never leave me or forsake me. And so in the midst of loneliness, and, and here's the thing, Rick, we got a, we need community. You know, uh, Genesis 1 God creates Adam and Eve, or God creates Adam, and then he Adam names Genesis one and two. Adam names all the animals, and he's like, "Hey God, what about me?" And God says something amazing because what He doesn't say is, "Adam, you have me. Am I not enough?" No, He says, yeah. "He says the first. He says the first not good in Scripture. It's not good for man to be alone." And God Himself, if we understand the Trinity, three in one: the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are a community. And so God has designed us. And I know recently, I think you had our friend John Lynch on it, and he is yes. just the master at talking about how grace has lived out in community. Uh, and he, uh, plug, go get the cure. Go get on my worst day. Go, go check out John Lynch. Do it. But, do it. Yes. Um, and, and we need community and we need people um, and ultimately, in my life, that's how God has expressed his love and his care and his presence to me. You want to talk about feeling? Well, uh, the, the, if we're really the hands and feet of Jesus, when another believer is hugging me, I mean, I'm getting hugged by God. I, I'm, I'm, God through them is, is hugging me, is encouraging me, is loving me. And, and so that's how God is, has designed us. Um, and so we need community. So, man, if you're str- if you're listening to this and you're struggling with loneliness, reach out, reach out to me, reach out to Rick, reach out to someone in community, and just and just tell them that hey, let's hang out, let's let's get involved. Um, and and ultimately, what we need to realize at the bottom of all of that is the foundational promise that Christ is in us, no matter what. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna do a quick commercial. Let's break for a second. This was all made possible by Stream Grace Network. So go to Stream Grace website for other podcasts. Um, you'll find one called True University by Steve Eden, Renewed You by John Ewell, um, The Three, which are ladies that do it here at Oneness Ministries, and there are many other. And you can find these podcasts at streamgrace.com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. All right, back to you, Zach. Um, you quoted um, Hebrews twelve one in one of your in one of your posts. It says to simply look to Jesus in order to live free from sin that entangles us. Why is that so important? Well, it, it goes back to the popular message that we we've grown up to believing, and that. I have to do something in order to get free. I have to do something in order to uh, get free from my struggle. 
And I'm not saying we just sit around and do nothing. But what's interesting about that passage is that it says for us to simply look to Jesus in order to live free from the sin that entangles us. So it doesn't give us three steps. It doesn't give us four principles. It doesn't give us two rules. Uh, It doesn't give us something to necessarily uh, to do. Uh, It just gives us a a place to refocus because we're always looking at something. Usually most of us are, are, have been uh, wired to look at our sin. And what this passage is encouraging us is stop looking at your sin and said, look at the one who's taken away your sin. Don't, don't try hard. It's not about exerting more effort. It's looking to Jesus. And as the author Hebrew says, he's the one who's the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the one who sustains you. He's the one who empowers you. And as Jude 24 says, he's the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. And, you know, in that post, I quoted a study that showed that those who engage four times a week with the truth of God's uh, word, with the scriptures, are 59% less likely to view porn, yes. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness, and more prone to say no to sin. I'm not talking about reading a chapter a day. It could be a verse a day, two verses of just an encouraging thought from, from God's word daddy's love letter, whatever you want to call it, that just encourages you. And as we saturate our mind, it's like t- taking a warm bath and an Epsom salt, putting some Epsom salt in there. You just soak and you let the bath do its work. And sometimes many of us, we just need to soak our minds in the truth of God's word because we have so much old thinking and old programming that we have to just let let that soak and let it erode away with the truth of God's word. And so that's what I've, that's what I'm encouraged with. And so it's not a discipline we're trying to do that. Oh, I better read my Bible. But instead I get to open this, this beautiful thing up and, and, and hear what God thinks of me, hear what he's done and, um, and just saturate my mind with that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, this has been really good, Zach. Um, I'm going to ask some questions now about you. In Mark 3:17, Jesus names John and James the sons of thunder. What would what do you think God what do you think he would call you? What would be your name? Uh, hopefully not a wee little man like Zacchaeus. <laughs> <laughs> um that's an you know, I, I could give you a pat answer. Um, uh, and I, but, every time I ask this question, I get the pat answer. Well, I hope but, you call me son, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think I think he would look at me if, if he walked, if he bodily walked through the door right now, I think he would look at me and just say, hey, dude, you're enough. Yes. You're enough. Good. And And the reason why, Rick, is because what I struggle with is, I, I desperately want the approval of other people. So I, 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 I bad am a people pleaser, but not only that, I grew up achieving. I grew up performing. I was an athlete. That was my, that was my language. You just worked harder. If you wanted something, you worked harder. And so I approached my faith in the same way. And, and, and the two things that, that struck me about the new covenant message was that I was righteous as a gift. And that I was already pleasing to God. Amen. And, and so the way I sum that up is, you're enough. 
<laughs> the search is over. You're enough. You, you don't need anything to get more enough. You don't need more accomplishments. You don't need anything else. You're enough. So I don't know. Maybe he would just call me enough. <laughs> that'd be that'd be good. That'd be good. It'd be good for all of us. Yeah, I, I, I think you know this that my career before I went into full time ministry was I was an artist and I did landscape paintings. And, um, which are amazing by the way I've seen them well, well thank you thank you um and every painting I produced there were parts of it that I really liked and parts of it that I thought well I could have done better on that but so as you get as this book comes out do you have parts of it that you are favor more than other parts yeah, th this is by far my favorite book. I, I spent the most time with it. When I got the endorsements back, it's always scary because they're the first people yeah. to read it, and they're the people you look up to. And 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 they they and and here I'll say this too. I, I usually send the first copy uh, PDF to my mom because my mom I love my mom's my biggest fan. I love her to death, but she's honest and and she'll tell me how it is, and she she literally I think read like most of the book on, on the first setting. And she just said, Zach, this is different. This is, this, this, something is different about this. And then I thought, okay, that's cool. That's my mom. Okay. So that she, she has to say that, but then I kept hearing that same thing. And so I just, I, I'm really, I, you know, as humble as I can say, I'm really proud of this book because I put a lot of work into crafting it and, and doing the research um, and, and really, um, in the last few years, I've, I've really experienced a lot as a pastor, whether it's walking through a lot of difficult things with people and really just trying to make the message of the new covenant, not only practical, but just not nebulous and not far off. Uh, I think sometimes we can say things that sound cool, but they, they have no effect in our day-to-day -day life. Like what about the mom who's, who's divorced and has three kids and is only making, you know, $2,000 a month or whatever. And so, um, so I, I think this book is, is written, um, hopefully with the pastor's heart, but also, um, I think, I think there'll be times where you laugh. Um, there'll be times maybe when you cry and there'll be times that I hope, um, ultimately you see the heart of Christ. That that's my goal. I want people to see the heart of Christ, um, in it. That's, that's great. Because of, uh, the pandemic, the last year was not a fun year. And I've seen statistics that approximately 40% of people that stop going to church. Mm. And one pastor that I talked to said, most of them are not coming back. Um, mm -hmm. How do you, how do you interpret that? Um, I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to get into the fact, is the church relevant? I, you know, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But why, why are people not coming back? Well, that's a that's probably a whole other podcast. I've got a lot of opinions on that. But oh, um, well, but I I think I think prime the uh, pump and we'll do it again. <laughs> I, I think I think nationwide, obviously, um, I, I would say that the message we're communicating um, is a mixture and it's confusing. And, and that's where my heart is, is I want to, I want to try to clear the clutter as much as I can. Um, I think we're, we're living in a new world. We have a 20th century model for doing church and, and, and maybe we need to look at 
new ways that we do church. Uh, we're 21 years into the, the 21st century. So I don't know exactly what that means or looks like, but I, I am trying to think of, okay, um, it's not that people are in their homes watching TV because uh, you can go out on a Saturday night or a Friday night and you're going to see a ton of people out and they're doing things together. So, so I don't know. I, I think there's probably uh, four or five things and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the church innovates and how the church um, uh, shifts its focus. And, and I think there's going to be some things, some ways we have to, to change the way we did stuff. But ultimately, um, we know the gates of hell aren't going to prevail and uh, the message is going to keep going out, whether that's on a Sunday morning or that's um, on a podcast uh, with Rick Fry. So uh, I think there's a lot of room for creativity. I'm not discouraged. Um, I just know that, Hey, you know, blockbuster had its run, um, but it didn't change. And then that's why Netflix took over. So, um, I think, yeah, I think maybe there's some innovation that we need to do and just figure out how can we best reach this uh, culture. Yeah. One of the reasons we got into podcasting was that very thing that a lot of, uh, a lot of millennials and, and I don't know that it's, that it's regulated by age groups, but a lot of people are listening to podcasts. A lot of people are getting information um, electronically. And so that's why I'm so committed to um, bringing guys like you and John Lynch and and uh, Ralph Harris and Andrew Farley and onto this podcast so that people can hear the truth about um, who they really are what what Drew called the true you or not true you but the what the true hearted you and what was the name of his last book I've, I've drawn a blank the, per- the, the perfect you the perfect you thank you. Um, gosh, that's so necessary, and what you're saying is so necessary, and we have to keep we have to keep encouraging folks because there are people who are discouraged, and there are people who want to give up. So I think this this venue is primed and ready to explode this message into the hearts of of all aged people. Would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know that you do a podcast. What is your, what is your podcast called? Yeah, it's the Daily Devotional Podcast with Zach Maldonado. So I, I try to put out a five-minute episode every day just to encourage people. And um, I've been doing it since January 1, so I'll probably do it through the end of the year, and, and then we'll see if I keep doing it. But it's been fun and, and encouraging. Good, good. Well, we got about three minutes left. Um. And I've we've gotten through all my questions. Um, what what do you as as we as we sign off? What do you want to leave as a message to the listeners? And and you've given us a lot. Oh my gosh, you've given us a lot. Is there something else that you want to um, share with our listeners? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, my goal for the book is is for people to see the heart of Christ and. The, the only place in the New Testament that talks about the heart of Christ is Matthew 11. And it's a, it's a famous passage a lot of us know. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And it says that the heart of Christ is gentle and humble. Um, and so uh, just think about that for a second, what it means that, that God's heart towards us 
is gentle and humble. And we see that all throughout the New Testament. Um, but he's kind. He, 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 he likes you. He's not going to whip you into shape. He's not going to fly off the handle. He's not going to punish you. He, he's not after that. He's gentle and humble. He, he's not, uh, he's not going to manipulate you. He's never going to use shame or guilt with you. Um, like I mentioned earlier, not only does he like you, but he actually enjoys you. Scripture says he delights in you. He dances over you. He, he's pleased with you. You're a pleasing aroma to God. So do you see the heart of God towards you? That it's always full of kindness. It's always full of humility. It's always full of gentleness. That he's never, as my friend John Lynch says, he's never in a hurry with you. He's not, he's not whipping us into shape. Um, he's not in a hurry for us to behave. Take a moment and recognize that his schedule is cleared out for you. Your name is on his schedule all day, every day, and you're his full-time attention and focus. And that's what we need to lean into. It's the heart of Christ for us. That's awesome. That's awesome. Tell people where they can get your book. Um, yeah, so the best, yeah. So it comes out July 13th, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I, a lot of different places books are sold, but Amazon's the easiest there. You can get it via the Kindle. It's also on Audible and Apple uh, as an audiobook and uh, anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Zach Maldonado, for being on. And if Thank you, would, you, Rick. Yes, anytime. And I would like to get, I would like to have you back and let's talk about the church. And if you would like to become an ad- advertiser or support Inside the Man Box, please go to our website at oneness-ministries.org and click on the podcast to become a broadcast partner. You can contact me at rfry at oneness-ministries.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>